My name is Hillary and I am an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers followed by our information break and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Daniel. Hey everyone, I'm Daniel and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is April 4th, 1997. My sponsor is Bob. Um, I have a sponsee, Trevor. Uh, shout out to the row four bros that are <laughs> part of my fellowship family. Um, thank you to Nick for having me speak and thank you to the Atlantic group. You know, I reminded myself that before I got up here, I couldn't picture myself being in a more loving environment with people that are more supportive of what we all try and do here. And to me, that's the miracle, you know? Um, 25 years ago, I came in here and I wanted to die. I don't know that I wanted to um, necessarily take my own life, but I just didn't have the will to live. And today I do, you know, today I wake up and most days I'm pretty excited and uh, grateful about life. Uh, being that I only have like 10 minutes, um, I'd love to spend time telling you all the horrible things that people did to me when I was a child, all the fabulous things I did when I was drinking, but you know, the truth is, um, you know, typical, you know, I would get drunk, take off my clothes, and end up crying in the corner. And, you know, that was pretty much how it ended up. And then things got worse, because I ended up drinking alone in my living room. You know, a good night was a bunch of candles and some Roberta Flack, maybe some Morrissey. Um, I loved to drink and dial. So, you know, the next morning was always phone calls of people, are you okay? You know, did you make it home all right? And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong? You know, um, and, and thank God for the angel that was a woman on the other end of the phone for quite a long time who took my calls and was in the program and slowly but surely 12 stopped me, you know, and I say the Worst night of my life, my night of my life wasn't like the night that I went to jail or any of those things, but it was the night sitting in my living room where after like, you know, half a bottle of tequila, three or four bottles of wine, I just could not get drunk. I just could not get drunk anymore. And she was the one that made the suggestion once again as many times, why don't you try and go to a meeting? Um, and I'm so grateful to the Atlanta group because uh, Within a few days, I met my first sponsor named Derek T down in Atlanta, and he actually had moved there recently from New York, the Atlanta group, which meant nothing to me at the time. And you know, in many ways, I credit that man for you know bringing me back to life um, and teaching me how to be a man, teaching me how to live. You know, simple things like putting on clean clothes, taking a shower, brushing your teeth, but other things like getting to work on time and doing what we say we're going to do. And I say that as a foundation, um, how important that is for all of us, because what, what I really want to speak to, I think the thing that Atlantic Group does great is reaching out to the newcomer, but I also want to reach out to the people that are sitting there that have time that are also suffering. You know, I've been in that chair where, you know, you see the newcomers getting an attention, you, you know, why, why is no one paying attention to me, and, and my brain just starts going. You know, and, and thank God to my sponsor, Bob, for, you know, somewhat clearing away the clutter of my head 
and helping me see how many things on a daily basis go through my head that are just lies. You know, I have the greatest job in the world. I've been there for 35 years, but every day I think I'm going to get fired. You know, and, and I always think like I'm on the way out. Someone's going to take my job, and, and whether or not it's true or not, I don't really know. But I don't have to focus on that today. You know, I'm so grateful for all of the gifts that the program has given me, and specifically, you know, one of the things that Eric always said to me is like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I didn't really know at the time, you know. Um, and I kind of came to the decision, like, I think I want to move, move to New York. I want to live in New York. And at the age of 50, with 13 years sobriety, I moved to New York. And I thought I had it. I thought I had arrived. Uh, downtown meetings were everything. Um, I found out I didn't, you know what I mean? And, and I've never come so close to picking up a drink in my life. Because as someone with time, new to the city, no one, I felt, no one wanted to pay attention to me. And I started paying attention to other people. You know, I, I would go to different meetings. I'd see Jane sitting at a meeting downtown, and I'd hear Jane talk, and I'd hear really, oh, I want what she has. Where does she go? You know, and it was finally a um, sponsee that said, I think that there's a meeting that you should go to called the Atlanta Group. And... It sounded, again, like I said, vaguely familiar, because I'd heard that from Eric, but it didn't mean anything. And um, my sponsee at the time said, I think this guy should be your sponsor. And it was that night, Sunday night downtown meeting, he introduced me to Bob. And Bob was outside. Bob was actually speaking that night. And Bob said, well, if you still want me uh, to be your sponsor after the meeting, after you hear me talk, let me know, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, and Bob's been my sponsor ever since. Thank you so much. Um, I can't begin to express the gratitude that I have, and what I've learned is that gratitude is an action word. Um, you know, and, and for me, the way that I try and express that is through service. You know, my first service job was at a big clubhouse picking up coffee cups. And when Eric suggested that I pick up coffee cups, I thought he was like joking. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I am not picking up coffee cups. And I did. And for two years, I picked up coffee cups, and in fact, I became the mayor of those coffee cups. That if you didn't put your coffee cup in the kitchen the right way and all that stuff. And I've learned through service that, you know, the quickest way to get out of myself. Um, I also want to shout out someone, I don't even know if she's sober. Uh, I was at the clubhouse, maybe like my third or fourth week, and I still wasn't sold. I still wasn't sure if this was going to work. And this girl walked up and said, hey, I notice you're new here. My name is such and such. What's yours? And she goes, I'm going to look for you tomorrow. And of course, the next day, as I was thinking about, you know, oh, am I going to go to that meeting or not? I thought, oh, man, I told that girl I would be there. Oh, man, I guess I'm going to have to go, you know. And, and I went and I looked for her, you know. And there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I've heard people say, like, hmm, I don't know that I need a meeting today. And, and it was impressed upon me that, you know, what if all the people at my very first meeting had said, I don't know that I need a meeting today. You know, I would have walked in and no one would have been there. So I've learned that I go to meetings not because I need a meeting, but I go to a meeting to hopefully in a little way pay back the debt to all the people that were there when I was sober. And I learned from that girl, Rahel, that now when I'm at a meeting, I do my up utmost to get up and go across the room and just try and meet at least one or two new people. 
you know, it's not easy. I know we all get in our heads. We all like, oh, it's easier just sit here. They're not paying attention. And it sometimes takes every fiber in my body to get up and walk across the room. But I always feel better afterwards. And I hope that, again, I've been able to repay the debt to other people while I was there. I think the greatest service job I've had here is the uh, sidewalk person out front on Tuesday nights. Because as much as I was like out there freezing with my posse of Darcy and Will and Catherine, um, I've gotten to know, if not all your faces, at least most of your names. And I hope that you've gotten to know my name too. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm so grateful for the gift of sobriety. And I'm grateful that, you know, one day at a time that we don't have to drink again. So thank you for letting me share. Our second 10 minute speaker is Kathy. everyone. I'm Kathy. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. So good to be here. Um, thank you, April, for asking me to speak at 527 tonight. So I didn't have a chance to think about this, which is probably better. This is always the best way for me. Um, I'm, I'm going to have God speak through me, and that's really what I need to do. Um, I'm, I'm really eternally grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous. I came into this room at the church 17 years ago. Um, in fact, Bob was one of the people that greeted me, along with Ava and Stephanie and James and a whole crew. Dayton, you were there too, um, Jeff. And um, ever since I walked in the rooms and became a part of this organization, my life has changed dramatically. I, I came in when I was in my 50s. Uh, I came in in 2004. I was 54 years old. Um, I had had a life that was really in a, it, it was a debacle when I came in. It was really a debacle. I was at my lowest point uh, when I came. I had um, lost my husband to cancer couple of years before. Uh, I had two children, um, and I really just went insane. I mean, basically, I lost my mind uh, after I had been drinking. You know, for years, I had been a problem drinker, but I never really thought I was an alcoholic. And after, after my husband passed away and the responsibilities and just the tumult that I was going through just brought me into a more progressive place. Um, I finally surrendered um, when both my children sat me down in my living room and said, we're done with you, Mom. We're done with you. We, we've had it. You're embarrassing us. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Just, just leave us money and get out of our lives. My son <laughs> was 20 and my daughter was 18 at the time. And I really had that message, you know, that was my moment of clarity that night, August 17th, 2004, my last drink, that message of, what are you doing? What are you doing to your children? They lost their father and now they're going to lose their mother. And it was, you know, it was that kind of moment that I put down the drink and I just decided I got to change my life. I got to change. And I came into the rooms here. Um, a year later, moved to New York. Um, 
And, you know, it's just been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I came in as this arrogant, don't you tell me what to do. Um, my sponsor that I chose was a woman who was 25 years younger than me, who didn't have children. And, uh, you know, she, you know, at, at the beginning it was like, how dare you tell me what to do? I know more than you. I'm, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you something. This woman, Amy, who I often speak about and I still love to this day, taught me how to love my children. She taught me how to love them. And at one meeting that I brought my daughter to at the very beginning of my recovery, my daughter went up to Amy and gave her a big hug and thanked her for helping her mom. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, I've had daughters and sons come up to me um, of women that I've sponsored and have had that same experience. And it's, it's so miraculous when that happens. And we just change, you know, by doing the steps, by working the program. I, I have a wonderful sponsor, Maureen, who's been my sponsor now for the last 12, 13 years. And, you know, we, we work together. She helps me, I help her. You know, at this point, we're kind of doing this together. We're, we're walking the path together. And, you know, I've sponsored women in the program who have all enriched me, who, has ma who have made my life so much more beautiful and, and recovered. Um, you know, I want to really talk about what recovery is like for me today, because I just feel it's so important. I've, I've, I feel as though I live this program as a way of life. And I think that that's really what I have to do. I, I know many others do, do live this as a design for life. But for me, I think, it, for me, I have to really remember every day to bring my higher power into my life, to have my higher power direct my thinking. Every single day for, the, for many years, I have been reading pages 60 to 63 in the big book um, because I'm a very self-centered person. I was a very arrogant, self-centered person that just didn't really think much of others. I mean, I neglected my kids. I had lots of amends to make to them. And um, thank God today and through the, the miracle of Al-Anon, and I've been a member of Al-Anon for the past 15 years, and I have to say that that group has also saved my life, and I, and I love that program as well. But um, I, I need to remember that, that, that I need to turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power every day and surrender to him. And, and I feel as though um, I've been able to live a life that's principled, you know? And I've done all the steps. I've done them several times. And um, today, I feel that I need to be fully immersed in a program of recovery in order to really live my best life. Um, I just came back actually from a weekend retreat in Nashville, Tennessee. It was a AA retreat from another group and it was all about God. The whole weekend was about God and I loved it. I loved it. I loved to be able to recognize that I need to connect with that higher power and to be able to project that in my life and to, to others. 
Um, I also feel that um, doing service has been one of the most vital and important parts of my life and being a sponsor has helped me, it's helped me gain self-esteem over the years. I came in with my self-esteem really low and over the years helping others has really given me a real, a real um, up in my life. Um, today my children um, have a good relationship with me. I have a daughter who um, and I've spoken about my daughter before. Um, she's an addict alcoholic and she finally got sober two years ago. And it's been really the, the greatest blessing of my life. We have a wonderful relationship. She was called me this morning, at, you know, right after she heard about the subway uh, shooting to make sure that I was okay. And that would have never happened years ago. She didn't talk to me for two or three years um, during her using um, when she was in her 20s. So today it's, um, uh, you know, the joy of having a relationship with my, with my daughter is amazing and, and having a relationship with my family. Um, I think that the, the, the other message that I want to give the newcomer is that this program takes time. You know, it's really, a, an up and down kind of journey. It's not linear. You know, it, I had many years in recovery where I felt happy, joyous, and free, and then I had several years when I didn't feel so happy, joyous, and free. And I know that when those years, when I'm, I'm having a year like that, I know that I have to really up my program, and I have to do more, more of my step work, and meet with my sponsor more. And that's what really helps me to get well and to, and to feel fully functioning. Um, so I just want to say I am thrilled to be here and, and I love being a, a greeter and seeing all your lovely faces as you walk down the steps at the meeting on Tuesday night. It's always fun. And uh, I'm just happy to be here and happy to speak to you all. Thank you. Hey, my name is Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Our main speaker tonight is Adrian. Hello, everybody. My name is Adrian. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Good to be here. Good to thank our 10-minute speakers and the group for having me over here. This is fun. Haven't been here in a while. I used to be a member of this group, and you know what? It's so good to see some people here tonight that I haven't seen for a few years and see that they're well and you know I had some really good friends in this group that were very kind to me um, so it's good to be back here my sobriety date is February 18th 2001 and my sponsor is a gentleman by the name of Brian my home group is Flushing Unity in Queens so I've been kind of hiding out in the back streets of Queens guys you know um, <laughs> but it's good to be back at the Atlantic group um, you know I got a lot out of what the 10 minute speakers were talking about there, you know, they some buzzwords off in me, so maybe that'll show up in my talk, but, um, you know, to those of you that don't know me, you've probably figured out I'm not from around here already. Um, you know, there's no democracy in where you're born. Um, you, don't get to, you don't get to pick the time, you don't get to pick the place, you don't even get to pick your name. 
And that was my first resentment, Adrian, because that's the time the Rocky movie came out. And the old Adrian, I've heard it every day of my life ever since, you know. Um, so I had a big resentment at my ma for calling me Adrian. And she pulled me to the side one day and she said, you're not called after a girl, you're called after a Roman emperor, you know. And I thought, well, am I reaching my way? You call me after a Roman, you know. And uh, so that kicked me off. I grew up in an Irish home in, in West Belfast, you know, an Irish Catholic home. And, you know, our house was great. I was the youngest of an Irish, uh, big Irish family. Um, all my si siblings were significantly older. And, you know, I was little Adrian. And, you know, I, I know in my heart today I wasn't born an alcoholic. You know, I hear some people say that. But, you know, the more I've wakened up in recovery and the more I've grown on my own spiritual journey, I mean, my short-term memory is shot. I can't remember what I had for my breakfast this morning, but my long-term memory is pretty good, you know? Um, and one of the things that I started to remember in recovery was way back in my early days. I mean, before I went to school or anything, and, you know, just hanging around my mom and waiting on my sisters and stuff coming home from school, I, I remember having peace. I remember feeling oneness. I remember kind of experience in life where there wasn't much thinking going on, you know? Um, and you know, those of you that have children and stuff, you'll, you know, when children become like two and three, the terrible twos we call it, right? Because we start to develop this sense of self. You know, this thing called the ego starts to appear and, you know, thank God it appeared for me because, you know, it guided me through the next, until I was 26 years of age, till I finally got sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, because I wouldn't have survived without it. I wouldn't have survived the streets of Belfast and stuff without fear, you know? And, you know, all these conditions that life put on me, Adrian, Irish cat, they're, they're all conditions that life put on me. I wasn't born with that stuff, you know? Life on life's terms, I used to believe that for years. That's a crock. Life doesn't make terms, I made the, I made the terms. I made the terms from I started to develop the sense of self right up until today, I was making the terms in my life. Life may have a different viewpoint of Adrian's uh, terms, you know? Um, that's why I can struggle and have to surrender like Kathy talked about, you know? Um, but I grew up in this city that was totally abnormal in the middle of a war. I remember coming out of my house in the mornings and the British Army being my front garden where tanks and machine guns and stuff. And I'd just like chat on past them with my football and go to school and, you know, there'd be bombs going off and things on fire. And I gotta tell you guys, I was afraid, you know? But I realized early on that it's not good to show that you're afraid of the other people, you know? And th like the city that I grew up in, it's so adverse, the Alcoholics Anonymous. There was a 60-foot wall down the center of my city separating Catholics from Protestants who wanted to kill each other. Alcoholics Anonymous is totally the opposite. We don't build walls, we build bridges, you know? We teach people how to love and stuff again here. I was taught, I was taught to hate from, I was four years of age, not in my home. I come from good people, good stock, you know? I came from a good Irish Catholic family. My mom had pictures of Jesus up in every room in the house, so she did. And when I'd come in, I'd be, swear, I'd be swearing, and she'd say, that, that holy picture's looking at you. You know, like, <laughs> that, that Catholic guilt. And you know, it was one of them holy. You ever see them pictures of Jesus, the one with a big red heart? When, when you swear and you say something, and you walk around the room and you're still looking, and it's staring at you every part of the room you go to? My ma had them in every house, and I'd be like, Jesus, ma, it's a wooden frame, we're paint on it. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, you're gonna go to hell. You know, so this is all the stuff that I started kind of picking up and bringing with me, and all this guilt and these old ideas and stuff. And that was stuff, you know, I can laugh at it now, but that's stuff that I had to deeply examine with a sponsor at 10 years sober. I still had that Catholic guilt in many areas of my life, you know, and I, I'm not a religious person today, and I'm not opposed to it, you know. Um, 
well, I'm going to say I'm not opposed to it from up here, but, um, I'm, you know, I'm a spiritual person today. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous is tailor-made for a person like me. It's not religious, it's spiritual. You know, that's what I was looking for my whole life. You know, somewhere along the line I heard someone saying, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, you know, and I thought, that sounds, that sounds cool, you know, but nobody ever expanded on that to me, you know. And if I look back on my life and my alcoholism and how I kind of grew up in Belfast, that's the truth for me right there. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, but my problem is I never knew how to be fully human. Never knew how to do it. Never knew how to have relationships. Never knew how to play with the other kids. And the reason for that is because I wasn't in touch with my spiritual side. I lost it. I started to lose it more and more and more. The more I went into life and the more I was conditioned by life. And I'm not blaming anybody for my alcoholism. Because when I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, that's a big mistake. I mean, I took full responsibility for it all. And it wasn't again until many years sober through writing inventory and working with people that I seen that it wasn't all my fault. You know, a lot of it was. The alcoholism was, that was created by a self-imposed crisis. That's what our book says, right? And you know, I learned how to drink on the streets of Belfast and I shot off on a path of destruction. My parents were drinkers. Um, you know, the home was always kept well and stuff, but my mom and I liked the party, so they did. And I used to love it when the party, because they'd have these parties in our house. And one of the things that I realized early on was, you know, the old aunts and the old uncles who weren't really talkative and communicative and stuff, they'd have a couple of drinks and you'd see them waking up and get up and dance and this get up and go to town on a party feeling, they'd be giving you money to be dancing with you. And I internalized as a, as a five-year-old kid that there's power in alcohol. It's transformative, it does something. That's interesting. And from six years of age, I got this idea and this battle going on in my head. I wonder how alcohol makes you really feel when you do it. Now, if you're a six-year-old kid, that's not, that's not normal. You know, a six-year-old kid battling with the obsession of alcohol. And, you know, I tried it a couple of times in the house, and the first time I really tried it, I was like nine years of age, and there was one of those parties at our house, it was Christmas time, and I grabbed a load of drinks, went up to the attic, and started cracking them open and patting them down, and I got drunk and blacked out and fell asleep, and I woke up hours later or whatever, and I'll tell you what, I was afraid. And I swore to myself that I'm not gonna do that again. I felt the guilt, you know, that Catholic guilt. And so I might as well say that I'd quit drinking twice by the time I was 10. And, you know, um, and uh, that's not rare in the culture that I, let me tell you about the culture that I come from. A few years ago, I was back in Belfast and I'm walking down the road where my nephew passed the Royal Victoria Hospital on the Falls Road, a hospital that I was on first name basis with the doctors with him, you know. Um, and I'm walking past the hospital and I've walked past that hospital, I've been in it, and I never realized something until my nephew pointed it out. And he said casually to me, he says, do you not think it's crazy we have a bar in our hospital? <laughs> and I just burst out laughing. He says, what, what are you laughing at? That's not funny, that's crazy. I said, that makes perfect sense to me, you know? <laughs> and everywhere I've been in the world, I've never seen another bar in the hospital, but there's bars in the hospital in Ireland, you know? And so off I shot on my alcoholism with this idea that, you know, we talk about, every AA talk I've ever heard, we talk about this hole inside of us, right? This Grand Canyon hole, and you know, I had that too, blah, blah, blah. You know, this emptiness and whatever. And I've come to see later on that there is no hole. It's just an imaginary hole dug by the ego. You know, there's no hole there today. There's really not. Um, and one of the things that really brought me to that is the idea that for me to get connected to this power, I don't ever have to add anything in my life. It's always about subtraction. 
you know? Um, and it's real simple, you know, the process in here. Surrender, Kathy talked about it. You know, when I come up on my last, my last drunk, and there had been a path of destruction up until that point. I mean, I'd, I'd spent time in a psych ward. You know, there was like a battle going on for my soul in my early 20s. I'd been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and I remember this one night, I'd come off the back of a run, and there was like a battle going on inside my head. I mean, that, that darkness was on me. And I remember, I, you know, when it gets dark for me, the last place I go is I just want to burn it all to the ground. I wanted a way out. I had suicidal ideation most of my teens, right into my early 20s. I just wasn't equipped spiritually to live out there, drunk or sober. And I got into a lot of trouble and there was a lot of violence and, you know, the cops coming to my mom's house, me getting locked up for being violent when I was drinking and, you know, and this night there was a bottle going on for my soul and I just thought to myself, you know, tonight's the night I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I remember walking home that night and going into my grandmother's bedroom and going into her medicine cabinet and finding the biggest bottle of pills that I could find and having what was left in my vodka and pushing them down my throat and drinking them down and swallowing them down and sobbing, trying to take my life from my own hand. And I can't remember much else after that. I woke up in a psych ward, but apparently my grandmother had found me a few hours later and the paramedics got me and they worked on me on the way to the hospital. And I remember waking up in this cell it was like a cell, it was like a dungeon in this dark part of the hospital that I'd never been in before and there's psychiatrists, are shining lights in my eyes and I can hear my dad, I can't, I can't open my eyes. Whatever the drugs that I'd taken, they were ripping me apart inside and the psychological pain that was going on in my mind was just dark, you know. And I could hear my dad crying at the side of the bed and he was squeezing my hand, you know. And over the next few days, my sisters and everybody were coming in and they all had that bewildered look on their face, you know. And, um, you know, I promised them that I'm going to stop drinking and, you know, I'm telling them everything. And, you know, we talk about the lie detector test and, yeah, I would have passed it, you know. And I really got to see my powerlessness at that time. And I'm in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, the day I got out of that sideboard after promising everybody everything, where the run started in the bar that I started and I ended up sitting on that bar stool, taking a little paper bracelet off my arm with all my hospital credentials on it, crumpling it up, throwing it into the ice tray and saying, you know what, I'll have a double. That's powerlessness right there. That's chronic alcoholism. And I'd love to tell you, you know, I had that drink and went on another run and ended up back in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it didn't. But what did happen to me that time was I got brought to a priest. My friend brought me to this priest who was also a psychologist. And I sat down in front of him and he started, he, the first question he asked me was, how much do you drink? I'm like, I feel like this guy, this isn't that the way you start a conversation with someone, you know? <laughs> and I shaved it down. I totally lied to him. Whatever it was I told him, he says, you're an alcoholic, son. And he says, there's nothing I can do for you as a psychologist or a priest. He says, you need to find recovery. You need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had a friend who'd been going to Alcoholics Anonymous at that time. And, you know, he, he'd been trying to 12-step me. I didn't realize he'd been trying to 12-step me, but he used to call for me and we'd go out and he started to tell me about this New York stockbroker and, you know, this, this Akron physician and stuff. And I'm like, geez, that's a great story, man, you know? He says, if you want to come down to my house, I'll read you more of it. And I'd be like, can I get a six-pack? He'd go, absolutely, no problem. So I'd get a six-pack, MGD, go down to his house, I'd be sitting popping them and he'd be reading the big book to me, you know? And uh, I hadn't got a clue what he was doing. But it was good, it felt good, you know? And I remember one day when I was leaving his house, he never even asked me to sponsor me, he just started it, you know? He, one day I was leaving his house and he grabbed me and he said, listen, big guy, he says, I know you're hurting. He says, but I just want you to know, man, there's a place that you can go and this can all end. 
And I heard that, you know. And I went drinking for the next couple of years, next few years after that, and my alcoholism just got worse and worse and worse. But there was a voice inside me kept telling me, go back to the Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was like a bottle, it's true. Once you come to AA, your drinking's ruined. That's it, you just, everywhere I go, there you are, you pop up, you know, and every time I open the top drawer, there's someone's phone number in there from an AA meeting, and you know, you're under your pillow at night and you find a pamphlet, a pamphlet on medication, and it's like, oh my God, you know, I can't get away from this, I wish I never went in the first place. And then, you know, it eventually came to a place where my last drunk, you know, it was more skullduggery for me to drink, and uh, you know, someone got pretty badly hurt that night, and I came out of a blackout in the middle of it. And there was a friend of mine pulled me away from the situation and put me in a cab, and drove me to an after hours bar on the other side of Belfast. And uh, something happened to me on the way to that after hours. Some kind of love from the universe or the multi-universes or something happened to me that something changed inside of me that I knew that I didn't want to do this anymore. And it wasn't just one of those you know, telling everybody I'm not drinking, because I became a fool telling people that I wasn't drinking, and the next day I'd be drinking, and that day I'd be drinking. But that night and that after hours, I had my last drink. And I remember going back to my mom's house that night, and I remember going, I was staying, she let me stay back in the house again, because they'd put me out so many times. I'd done a lot of stupid things. I was an idiot in my alcoholism. That's exactly what I was, an idiot. All the the bravado and the madness and the vibe. it was just a sad show of a little scared boy. That's what it was. And I used to run on them stories for years in AA, so I did, but it's not the truth. I was a scared little boy. And you know what? There's many things that brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous, but see the top of the list is what I'd done to my mom and my dad. And they're old, and you know what? It still hurts me a little bit, what I put them through. 15 minutes, all right, no problem. It still hurts me what I put them through. And I'll never forget the day I was leaving my mom's house and my dad looked at me, square in the eyes, and he was crying. And he says, you know what? He says, I can't believe you've done this to me and this family after everything that I've done for you. My dad and mom stood by me through everything. I had the British Army and the cops and everybody coming to my house looking for me, and my mom and dad would never give me up, ever. Pay my do it. they've done everything for me. And what my dad was referring to that day was he had a phone call from his bank manager that they'd found out that I'd stolen his whole life savings. And I'd done it over a period of, of a few years, check by check, thousands. Who needs cash when you have checks? That was my motto, you know? <laughs> I mean, and that's what I'd done with the idea that I'll pay him back someday because that's how gullible and naive I am. How am I going to pay anybody back? I can't even pay drug, drug dealers back. And my dad cried that day, and I looked back at him, and he was broken. His spirit was broken. See, if you knew me and you hung out with me for long enough, your spirit would have been broken too. That's the kind of guy I was. And he, and he cried, and he said, I want to die. I don't care what you're shooting into your arms or blowing up your nose or what you're drinking. It's hard to get that out of your mind from someone who loves you so much. And I remember leaving that day and I'm thinking, I'll never be able to put this right. I'll never be able to put the innocence back into this relationship. I don't know how many times my mom cried and told me, you, you gotta go. I remember my mom hitting me with her pocketbook in the head one night. She said, go take it all. You might as well just take it all. I took the pearls, the gold, the diamonds, everything out of her jewelry box, you know? And that night, when I was having my last drink, all that stuff was coming through my mind's eye. I didn't want to do it no more. And I used to call it my surrender moment, but I didn't surrender. I was defeated. I was totally defeated. 
And I remember going back into that little room in my mom's house and I'm looking in the mirror and I have a big black eye and my face is scraped off me and my eyes are yellow and I don't even know myself and I remember getting down on my knees and saying, God, see if you're right now, I need you. I need you to come to me because this is not going to end good. And see, for a moment, everything felt peaceful and okay. And I knew that I was going back to Alcoholics Anonymous. And the next day I licked my wounds, so I did. And, um, you know, kind of just took it easy. And the day after that, was February 18th, 2001. It was a dark winter's night in Belfast, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm not gonna go to a meeting in my neighborhood, because people will know me in there, you know? <laughs> Don't want anybody to see me going to this Alcoholics Anonymous place. I mean, it's okay if you see me peeing on your lawn at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know? Or uh, all the other stupid things that you've seen me do that I thought you didn't see me do. Um, but I don't want you to see me getting sober. Absolutely not. And my idea in my mind was, I'll go to your meeting in the city center. And then I thought, no, there's going to be Catholics and Protestants there. There'll probably be a fight, you know? And then I'm thinking, you know, I'll go there. It'll be a safer bet. And I remember going into that meeting. And you know what, guys? i got to tell you something. See that meeting in there? See, see the first tradition? I had my most powerful experience, and I'm 20, over 21 years sober now, I have my most powerful experience with the first tradition in that meeting in my first year of recovery. I went in there, guys, and I'm sitting at the back, and I have a big hat on and a big coat up around me, and I got, don't come near me or I'll kill you, you know, sign written on my forehead. And one of the things that I've seen in that group blew me away. I'd never seen it anywhere else before. The Catholics were sponsoring the Protestants, and the Protestants were sponsoring the Catholics. The government couldn't sort it out for over 800 years, this conflict had been going on. The cops couldn't sort it out, the people themselves, the clergy couldn't sort it out, but a room full of busted up old drunks were sorting it out. <laughs> and the old timers in there, they would say to me, kid, see if you wanna make it out there, you better stay in here with us. See spiritual principles? They'll boil the poison out of anything, but you gotta apply them. You gotta apply them. And that group took me in, that whole group sponsored me, and I found Kevin in there, he was my guy, he, 12 stepped me, took me first through the first three steps. Kim picked me up the first night I spoke to him. Kim picked me up the next morning. He said, have your big book ready? And I'm like, oh, maybe I've been overreacting a bit here. You know, this guy means business here. And I remember going to his house and having like a five hour conversation and he got me into the steps that day. And I got into that group and I became the secretary and I really got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And see when I walked through that door, 181 Lisburn Road, February 18, 2001, I thought my life was over. You wanna know something, guys, it was? That life, that guy that I used to be, it was the beginning of the end. So it was, it was the beginning of the end. And the people in that group, see, the ISM of alcoholism, it means many things to me, you know? I sponsor myself. I, you know, incredibly short memory. But the biggest thing in my recovery is I sell myself short. See if I had a writ done on a piece of paper in my first six months or my first year in AA, the things that I wanted, I mean, it's pathetic when I think about it now, and the things that God had planned for me, it's ridiculous. I remember this old timer in Belfast saying to me, he said, kid, see if I brought you into your room in the back right now and showed you up on a big screen what's ahead of you in recovery if you stay close to this program? He says it would blow your mind, you wouldn't be able to take it. And see, within a year, the day after my first AA birthday, I was living back in New York again. I lived here in the 90s, and that was an absolute disaster. I came here drunk and went back to Kennedy Airport drunk with three bags of dirty laundry and that one dollar in my pocket, you know? Um, 
I, I'd lived in London, because that was one of the ideas that I had. If I find the right place to live, I'll be okay inside. If I find her, I'll be okay inside. You know? If I have the right amount of money in my bank account, there's nothing, I am convinced today that there's nothing I can see with my eyes that's gonna give me what I need inside to live spiritually in this world. That doesn't mean to say tomorrow I'm, I, might, I won't chase after something, because I still have desires and stuff too but I don't get caught up in it the way that I used to do. And I came back to New York, guys, and see, within three years, I was married, had a kid, was up and running, you know? But the problem was, I never had the tools to be in a relationship. I was not relationship material. And I have a little kid sitting there, and I'm trying to work, I'm trying to look the part, and I'm trying to look the part, and Alcoholics Anonymous started a group in Woodside, a big book group, people were coming in, they were getting well, I'm talking around, I'm, I'm, but I'm dying inside. I'm dying inside. And I'm suffering from the thing that kills more alcoholics than Johnny Walker Black's spiritual pride. I don't want anybody to know about it. Because I want to save my face, you know? Alcoholics Anonymous is not about saving, saving your face. It's about saving your ass. So it is. And one of the things that Kevin taught me was, he said, listen, see when you're not doing well, tell us you're not doing well so we can help you. And I remember reaching out to this guy and explaining to him what was going on with me. And he brought me to page 52 of the big book and he started to read out the bedevilments, having trouble with your personal relationship, yeah. And I remember sobbing on the phone at five years sober, because what was going on with me was I was having a faith crisis at five years sober, to the point where I wanted to check out. Because what I'd done was, the things that I chased after when I was drunk that I thought were gonna make me happy, I'd started to chase after them sober, and started to obtain them, landed a really good union job, which I'm still in here in New York, Started to make more money than what I'd ever made in my whole life. Started to get all these things, the car, the wife, and, and you know what, I'm done. The more I got, the bigger the hole got inside. And that's a tough place to be, it really is. See my two biggest shifts in my life, they came from absolute failure. Absolute failure. The first one was the biggest shift was from the booze and coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. The second biggest shift was when I was five years sober, when I realized the second surrender, the second part of the first step, the second surrender, I surrendered to the booze, now five years later, I'm surrendering the, the whole thing up to God. Didn't know how to do that, you know? And he brought me to the bedevilments and he read that out to me and he gave me an exercise from the second step because my agnosticism was in my face. I really wasn't sure if there was a God or not. And I had an experience going through the steps at that time where there was a voice within me, not a voice the way I'm talking now, but a heavy intuition. And I closed my eyes one night before I went to bed and it just said, Adrian, why don't you come deeper? Everything's all right. Everything's always going to be all right. I've been given the gift to go deeper in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I've had to do, you know? And I went through the steps with that guy that time, and I started to see that I had all these resentments that weren't resolved yet, and they were eating my soul for lunch. It was all kinds of financial amends and different amends that weren't made yet. And I'd started to make all this money in New York, and I realized this is not my money. So my recovery became about getting on airplanes and flying back to Ireland and going back to the old employers that had ripped off, people that had robbed, people that had stole the diamonds and the pearls and all the stuff went back into my mom's jewelry box. My dad got paid back every penny. That's when the depression and stuff started to shift out of my life. We've got many tools in Alcoholics Anonymous, but there's nothing to put muscle in your recovery like making all your amends. Nothing. That put her in my balloon. I was, people were commenting on my job and stuff. You dream, what are you, know, what, what are you, what are you even doing, man? You're like, you're really different. Because when we're waking up spiritually, we change physically, we change mentally, and we change spiritually. The message in the big book, Bill Wilson talks about, we'll have to find a power by which we could live. And then a few pages later, he goes, by the way, see that power, it's within yourself. It's only there that it's going to be found for you. 
Only God would be clever enough to hide himself inside you. What a trickster, huh? He had me fooled. And my life has become about living from that place. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a sponsored-centered program. It's a God-centered program. It's a prayer-centered program. Although I do have a sponsor who helps me with that stuff when I get jammed up. See all, the, see all the new people in here tonight? If there's one thing that I can say to you, the greatest thing that's happened to me in my life has come in the Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the single greatest thing that's happened to me. This is the only place where I've ever felt okay in the world. And see everything that I would have wrote down on that piece of paper at a year or six months sober, scrubbed it up and threw it away. See, at 10 years sober, I stood in the federal courthouse in New York City. And a judge came out. I was getting sworn in to be an American citizen. And a judge came out. And I, there were 600 people in the room. And I remember thinking to myself, here we go, another judge, you know. <laughs> but he blew me away. He had me crying. He says, I look around this room today. And I see people from all four corners of the world in here. And I bet you there's some stories of how you people got in here today to become American citizens. And it all just started going through my mind's eye again. Belfast, growing up, get shot, get stuff. But all the things that I've done. And I'm crying. And I'm really crying. And I'm not a crier. You know, Irish boys, we don't really cry that much, you know. Italian boys do. I sponsor a few of them. You know? Enough said about that. I, I, they get pedicures and stuff as well. I don't, I don't know. Whatever. That's a whole different fellowship. Um, and the judge, you know, I, I remember standing up that day and I'm really proud to be an American citizen, but I'll tell you who's, who was more proud than what I was my father. And when I came out of the courthouse that day, he called me, he said, son, well, did you do it? Did you do it? I said, I did that. He says, you know what? You're the first one out of our whole family that's became an American citizen. He says, you want to know something, son? I've been all around this world and I've seen many things in my life. I've never seen anything like the change in you and that Alcoholics Anonymous. And see, then I knew things were me, right with me and my dad. The power of the nine step guys. Things are good with me and my mom today. Things are good with me and my sisters today. Because if I want to be good with God, i got to be good with you. Thank you very much. My name is Matt, and I'm an alcoholic. And I chair the Atlantic Group. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Daniel, Kathy, and Adrian.